My name is Robert Sram, your host for today on Future Now Radio. And my special guest is Bruce Schumann from the US. Hi, Bruce. Hello, Robert. It's a, it's a pleasure to see you and hear you. It's great to, great to be in touch again. Okay, thanks, Bruce. Just to start off, Bruce, I sort of checked the internet and I, I watched some profiles. And on Pinterest, it says about you, you're a writer, a programmer, an integrator, a visionary, and a mystic. Now, that sounds very interesting to me. And I want to start a little bit uh, on a mystical note here. And so yeah. I also checked, is that okay? I also checked your profile on LinkedIn and someone endorsed you. Do you remember what's there? Oh, vaguely. I've been over there recently, but I, I never paid that much attention, but I, I will. Okay, yeah. so I will just read it out loud so the listeners can grasp it fully. Bruce works with massive passion, drive and intellect toward the formation of the bridge from now to everywhere. What we are doing is building a bridge from the absolute to the local, from the one to everything in particular. And this ain't so easy to do. And why are we doing this? Because this is the matrix of absolute wholeness that can guide individual human beings and all of civilization into a collective process that can actually work. <laughs> so how do you feel about that one? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a big bite, let's put it that way. Somebody who wrote that is a very ambitious human being with a lot of imagination, I would say. And that, that is kind of what I'm about. And it's, it's a very audacious claim, of course. But I'm, I'm prepared to get pretty excited about it, you know, if, uh, if the sparks don't start any fires. So I, I'm prepared to get into that. Okay, great. So actually, Bruce, what made you decide to become an activist or change maker? Well, I, I have had this feeling that the world was a little, a little silly and kind of confused since I was a kid. And I wasn't sure, you know, why we didn't learn anything as, uh, you know, as human as civilization evolved, we kept doing the same things over and over again. And I was, I was kind of shocked when I began to realize that people weren't, the civilization wasn't learning. We weren't learning to don't do stupid stuff. We kept doing stupid stuff anyway. And we would repeat these patterns. And, and so I became, you know, kind of, uh, polarized by that by that issue and I began to think about it a lot as I as I grew up and I, I became a, a writer a quote-unquote writer very early with my little portable typewriter just writing poetry and trying to figure out you know where where life was going and this gradually evolved and it just got more and more serious and um, I, and I got more and more complicated ideas about it as, as time progressed yeah so when you experience this and you saw this like are, are you intuitive or was it something some things that didn't make sense to you and you thought we can do better or well i i started off trying to be a poet and i was and i but i enjoyed analysis and i would you know started off reading philosophy and poetry but i gradually became a mystic i went through the experience of the 60s i was in the haight ashbury uh, you know, which was absolutely, you know, the summer of love, these famous um, experiences. And 
I, I went from that experience and a little bit of LSD along the way, I went from there to the University of California at Santa Cruz, which was kind of remarkable because it was kind of like once you had acid, you were sort of never seen again in, in the realms of the, you know, the halls of academia. But I, I did that. I, I did that remarkable thing and began to study at the university the kinds of experiences that I just had. And in, in, in so doing, I have some things in common, I think, with Ken Wilber, because he, I think he went through something like that, became a scholar and a student of, of a mystical and psychedelic experience with an academic and scientific point of view behind it. And so I got into that myself and studied philosophy and psychology and got more and more technical about it as I, as I continued. Okay, I see. But that was a sort of short phase, or was it a hectic phase in your life? How do you look back <laughs> on it? <laughs> I would say the time I spent at UC Santa Cruz was, was just awesome. It, 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 this was the crowning jewel of California. It, it, this university was brand new. They just built it. They built it on the crest of a, of a mountain in the red, at the edge of the Redwood Forest. All these buildings were brand new, sparkling clean, and perfect. And there was just a, not too many students. I was very privileged to get in there. It was the second year the school had existed. And they had some just, just wonderful places, uh, you know, wonderful buildings, wonderful classes. And it was very, um, you know, unstructured. You didn't pass or fail grades, no, no um, severe punishment if you were kind of a sloppy in the way you were doing things, I guess. You had to keep the professor happy, but but it was a, a tremendous creative opportunity. So I began to write about mandalas in the very first year I was there. And I started, I, I started trying to figure out what mandalas were and, um, and are they a, a, an important symbol of the way the human mind works? And I decided that the answer is yes, they are. And I, I began to draw these algebraic models of, of mandalas, uh, you know, circus, uh, concentric rings with the differentiations and branches and all this kind of symmetry that they, that they contain. And I decided that this was some significant logic. And it, it had to do with the relationships, say, of holes and parts. So like the concept of holon was for me defined very early on in, on a mandala. So this, this became a, you know, a very strong uh, guiding light for me. And I pursued it with a high degree of intensity. I read a lot of books about it. I found everything that anyone was saying about the subject. I did find the kind of books that Ken Wilber was looking at. And there was a lot of talk about this kind of thing back in those days. So I, I tried to be right at the cutting edge of that. And I also decided I wanted to be a scientist about it. So I was going to, I studied computer science back in those days too. Mm. So how do you put computer science together with mandalas? Well, that's a pretty big jump, but I was taking a crack at it. You know, the, some of the professors were not that impressed, but, but I was trying to do it. <laughs> so you were really sort of looking for a place to exceed your boundaries or trying different yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see Santa Cruz in those days, they had independent study program. You didn't have to stay there all the time. So I would, and they had, they were in the quarter system. So I would go there for two or three months and then I would drop out. So I, I went out into the desert and I spent three months out in the desert 
living alone in a little stone cabin, drawing pictures of Marlowe. Really? <laughs> Sounds like a pop group, pop group thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, you know, you'd run into a few wild hippies out of the desert back in those days. You know, Charlie Manson was one out there, you know, and that kind of scene. So, but I had, I had a wonderful, uh, wonderful place to be, and it was extremely interesting. And so I would go back to the, to the university and, and, and be sort of charged up with this stuff. And I was reading, I'm reading the serious academic books too. I, I wanted to pass the classes and I really, I wanted to truly understand the subject, both in classical terms and in, you know, the kind of ideas that were coming to me. Mm. The, sense, the sense that we needed revelation. And just, just to add this point, it's back in those days, we, we were in the context of the Vietnam War and we were scared about nuclear war so we had this kind of overshadowing presence of the sense that you know, this is serious, dangerous conditions, and we have to respond with uh, with full life force. And I think something that we're feeling today. Now, maybe this has been a lifetime experience for me that like long term emergency kind of thing. Exactly. And that's you know that's what I wanted yeah, yeah. to to ask you. Do you think what's happening now relates to that? But obviously, it does. Yeah, well, it's I, I would say the conditions back then that scared us, the Vietnam War, we were very upset about, and nuclear war was like party now because tomorrow won't happen. You know, that was the kind of thinking that a lot of people felt. But the, the sense was we need answers. The human race is is just got to get it together here. This doesn't work, you know, and there's too many dangerous forces out there. So. And there was this vision arising, you know, like books like the Aquarian Conspiracy, other kinds of visionary books were starting to appear back in those days. And you, you had a sense that there was a new, a new consciousness was trying to, to be born. And what is this? And it does have something to do with mysticism. It does have something to do with the whole truth and nothing but the truth somehow that is shadowed. It's not really visible, visible when you're only looking at, you know, what's right in front of your face and you're, you know, you don't understand the guy across the street or from the other country. So yeah. we began to, we began to put all those pieces together and, and try to, try to build a, a new, a new vision. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce, in your long career by now, I, I'm sure you don't mind if I put it that way. You must have worked on maybe more than a hundred different projects. They are related to uh, transformation or transition. Well, I just wanted to ask about one of your projects, but maybe you feel like you want to, whatever you feel like sharing, you have one project that's Interspirit, the Interspirit Alliance, that might be interesting for you to share. Well, there's, there's been such a long evolution. I didn't understand all the things that I see today, you know, earlier. It, there's been a progression. But I think I think uh, one of the things that's interesting, I think, in, in, in that regard that you just mentioned, is that is that I had this idea of origin from the very beginning. That was a, the idea of a center point, and that uh, so as I came out of college, I began to organize everything I was doing around the notion of origin or center point, and I've used that term as a primary organizing principle for many years. And so this project today is now a kind of a, a culmination of, you know, literally 25 or 30 years of, of, of intellectual progression around the same idea that is now 
assimilating all these other things that I've done somehow. So it has a, a scientific models in it, and it has political structures in it, and voting systems, and wholeness and oneness, and how, and moral alignment, and interfaith. All these kinds of things are combined in, in one framework. So it, it gives me a, a sense of a, a lot of spiritual power around this stuff. So I feel it. I feel that that power is there. So I'm just kind of moving forward because it, you know, I don't want to just spin my wheels with an idealistic idea. I want to get my feet on the ground. I want the wheels, I want the tires to engage some traction. And I want to actually move these things as an activist with serious impact in the world if possible. And I feel like that's something you guys are doing too. So that's one of the reasons I'm interested in working with you. Yeah. I feel very aligned with that and uh, similar feelings there. You want projects to be progressive and you want also as an activist, you want to be grounded with it. And, uh, and that's what I love about your style. So well, next thing I want to ask you is how do you combine your life as a mystic and change maker with whatever you're doing? So how do you keep the balance in your life? What do you do? Well, I, I think I'm kind of a, uh, you know, a hermetic monk to some degree, I would say right now. I'm, I'm actually, I'm living alone right now. The, the lady is, who was here for the last year and a half or so is checked out for a while. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just concentrating. Absolutely. I, I live, I'm trying to live inside the deliverance of the Holy Spirit to the planet, to use this sort of um, spiritual romantic language. I'm I am in a channel right now, I think, and it's it's like it's like a vertical channel of spirit. And if I stay straight in my soul and do the right things and try to behave myself and be nice and polite and kind and honest and all these little things that seem to keep the steering wheel pointed in the right direction, my creativity is flowing like a like a, a waterfall right now. I just have so many ideas coming through me. I just can't get them down fast enough. And then I meet somebody who's doing something I find interesting. So I charge towards them as fast as I can go and just scribble all over the place and try to build little functions and, and things that, that tie it together. Because I think I see, I see this oneness idea, which I think is the container for this entire revolution. And I see how pieces fit into it. I think I do anyway. So I'm working on all on that at, at, at a scientific level, at a level of semantics. A little a level of political organizing how you how do you do collective deliberation how do you make a decision in a in a content in a governance context that is guided by oneness that's the great mystery of governance right now we got you know a billion people all of whom have an opinion they have a culture they have an attitude an idea but you know that little mantra we are one it's out there and it's pretty significant i think yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're 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 trying to we're trying to pro program a convergence. You know, this is a phrase I you know I started hearing from this kind of talk from Barbara Marks Hubbard. I worked with her for many years here in Santa Barbara. We formed a network here in Santa Barbara with we had about two hundred conscious evolution people, and I put them all in a database networking system for the on the internet, and. We began to we began to get this idea that you know we're all different, but we're all coming together towards a common point, towards a center, 
of some kind. And maybe that's the Kiyar de Chardin, you know, Omega point, or maybe it's origin. Who knows what it is exactly, but we're, we're reaching towards each other from across great distances to come together as a single form, as a, as a unified human, you know, body of spirit that has, you know, many, bo many bodies, one body and many bodies, that kind of thing. And, um, and it's beautiful. I do it because it's beautiful. It's thrilling. It's healing. It's loving. It's, it's hot. It's as hot as it gets, you know, I think. <laughs> so that's, that's why I'm doing it, right? Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's just a gorgeous experience of a living energy that's done for the purest of reasons. And, and in the end, it feels like the fastest resources in the county. It's just, um, it just, it moves. So at least that's, that's the sense I have right now and why I'm chasing it so, so aggressively and single-mindedly right now. Okay, great. It's that, and you do a lot of hiking also? I have been, yeah. You know, right now I've, uh, I've been doing a lot of hiking in the re in recent months, sometimes to a fanatical degree over and over again. But right now I'm just sort of harvesting the fruit of whatever virtues came out of that hiking. I mean, I assim you assimilate energy. That's why I do hiking. It's a corrective, it's a chastisement of your own in, you know, inappropriate behavior or out of alignment or sludge that might get into your body you if you go up a steep mountain trail and you work hard on it this isn't this isn't a languorous walk in the park this is like you're going you're doing something steep and hard and the more lift you're forced to push in through your body i think the more it builds up energy in your chakras that's my doctrine anyway i think this is true it's like a spring so when you're when you push yourself up a steep mountain trail and you keep your head adjusted in the state of grace, your whole body receives this energy as a kind of um, purification. And it says, uh, okay, you know, you got, you got, you know, your Kundalini is, um, is getting wound up pretty tight. And that's probably what's happening with me right now is I got a ferocious Kundalini wound up in place because I did so much work. Yeah. So I'm taking my revenge here on, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, on, you know, on the sluggishness of life somehow. I think I recognize a bit of that purification process. I've, I've run a few marathons in my life, uh -huh. but it goes so far as uh, 30K that you can do it physiologically. And then you're know, 35 and then the rest is all willpower and yeah. and it's sort of like feeling or being reborn or something you you're just letting everything go and you and that's a, a very mystical way of well not only finishing a race but how to experience it maybe that's why the marathon has such a mystical and a lot of sports achievements such a mystical load to it. well you're, you're pushing yourself to the absolute limits of your capacity and then beyond you're, you're finding levels you didn't know you had uh, and, and you sort of open up new um, new octaves inside your soul, and I, I think that I think we're all reaching for something like that. We you know we we have levels of potential we don't really know are there, and uh, by by just trying hard, I think I think that's a lot of it. It's just try hard, be sincere, and try hard, and work on it. And believe you know you have to believe that what you're doing is right. You can't run a marathon if you don't you know don't think you can finish it or you don't really want to do it. So you say, for some reason, I want, I want to climb this mountain. I want to run, you know, 26 miles. 
I've, I've never done a marathon, but I was a miler, a long distance runner in high school. Yeah, and, uh, and there's been times in my life when I could run all day without getting tired. I don't know how fast, but I could, could run for eight hours and not, you know, just keep going and be all right. I'm wow. a little younger than I am now. I can't do that now, but I, I could then. So, so I, I, I appreciate that. You know, you just you get to a certain point where, you, you, you know, and I'm not a competition runner, but just running. You, you, you can see those guys from Africa. They, they, can just, they can just run, you know, all day. It's just, just like walking, just a, just one little step up from that. And, and I've, I've been to that place where you just don't get tired. Yeah. But not, yeah. not when you've you got guys breathing down your neck who want to beat you. That's a different deal. Yeah, so that state of mind and body that must feel like flying, right? So. Well, yeah. It, I mean, there's a certain kind of exhilaration. But what, what, you know, what, what is happening to me now is just, just a sense of, of the joy of, of just working and, and doing something beautiful. I think running is, is you know, maybe, a, or, the, or the hiking is like a, a preparation for that somehow, mm. like being in training. And right now, just this creative action that I think is, you know, excited by things like the, um, the Caravan of Unity, um, Unity Earth, this whole movement that's out there right now, it's, it's in many, many dimensions, and it's, it, it's affecting the vibes all around us right now. And I think I'm being triggered by that at very deep sort of hormonal levels. Um, you know, my whole body is, um, you know, my adrenaline is responding to it. So yeah. I, just, I just get out of bed and drink coffee and go. That's kind of what it's about right now. So, but, but, it, but it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work if I wasn't in fairly good shape for my age. I mean, if I, was, if I didn't have a robust constitution and be pretty healthy, I, I wouldn't be able to handle this kind of raw force. But there's a, there's a, lot, of, a lot of energy in the air right now, a lot of power, a lot of capacity to do something, I think. So we just sit tight, kind of keep it stable, don't blow, blow up. Uh, any relationships that you can help by being, you know, don't get too stupid or wild or reckless, you know, just keep moving at an even pace, which is, I think, something you're good at, Robert. You know, I need, you need, I need a good modulator, you know, around me sometimes. Um, but you, you've got that skill. So, so it's, I always need that. I, I always used to say I need, um, I like to have strong guys around me. I mean, I understand the divine feminine. I can talk, I can talk to the women and they like what I'm doing. But I always need a guy who's stronger than me around me a little bit, you know, just to kind of shut me down a little bit or, or it helped me, it helped me relax. Yeah. I run up against a, ma a male force that's, that's strong and, and is, is nice, you know. <laughs> it's like the dynamic duo. Yeah, you just, you just kind of, you know, you, you can push, but then you, then you can relax because you don't have to do all the pushing. Maybe the other guy will push, you know, something like you can take turns or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's really great. If you have this synergy with a mate or a partner or this balance, that's really yeah. uh, it's very important. Yeah. So I'm curious, you worked on so many projects, Bruce, and I think you have come to great achievements, but I'm also pretty sure that you must, or should I ask, did you ever feel some moments of despair in your journey as a change maker? And if, if so, which ones? And how did you overcome these challenges? 
Where say, should we start? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't want to admit it, but I'd say, oh, it's like, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I don't have a big constituency. I don't have anybody sending me money to do this. I pay for this out of my blood. And I, I could, you know, um, go out and I should go get a job someplace. I, but I'm kind of refusing to do that. And is that crazy? Well, maybe. But I, I can't, really. I can't stop this. So the question of how responsible have I been or am I worried about it? Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm so excited right now is I, is I have as I know that I have to, um, I have to win this race. If I want to, you know, I want to keep breathing and having something to eat. It's, it, I mean, it really does get like that sometimes. So I don't, I'm not one of these people that had a successful career in the corporate world or sit, is sitting on a nice retirement situation. I do have some, some, uh, some resources, but not really enough to do what I'm doing. So it, it makes me highly motivated. And so I'm, I'm just pushing with an absolute explosive force to, 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 to build something that is that overcomes this, this fall energy that can happen. I, I don't want this. I don't want this stuff to fail. I don't want it to collapse. I don't want it to be oh a nice try. Let's try again next year. I don't want to hear about that right now. I you know I've I've done that. I've done lots of projects that didn't quite hit a hit a target market. They're too advanced. They're just too speculative. They're too up in the air. You know, you put a lot of work into something, you learn something, you get really good at it at a thing, but the marketing is very hard to produce because nobody knows just nobody really understands the tension between science and religion and politics. If that's your big picture, how many people really see how that could possibly work? Not very many. And so you you just have to kind of go with what's coming. And so somebody like Barbara Marks Hubbard, who does kind of understand all that, but she's not really, she's not really an activist. She, she gets around, she talks to a lot of people, or did, did so, and was very seminal. She, she inspired many people, but she didn't ever settle down to one concept and say, okay, we're going to make this work right here. Mm. I mean, a little, she did to some degree in Santa Barbara, but when the tensions arose and it got to be challenging, she just moved on to something else. And, you know, politics is hard. People are ornery. There's a, there's a huge weight here that we have to have to push out of our way, I think. And so that's, you know, why we're kind of terrified about the elections in the United States. I mean, this is scary. It's actually very scary that, that this whole United States vision of the, what makes this country beautiful could just go straight into the garbage can because of kind of idiot things at the top. It's, it's, it is scary. So those of us who, like me, are just an absolute patriot, not just because I'm a flag waver, but because I believe in the, the constitutional ideals of this country, it's just very, very passionately motivated to stand up and, and you know, defend what is great about town, this state, this nation, and the whole world, but in a, in a whole way, not with this crazy garbage that is scaring everybody. Who can read and write? So that's the way it feels to me to say it in a prejudiced kind of way. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Bruce. <laughs> I I really have two big questions now for you. All right, big questions. So I will take a shot at it. And I think continuing on on your last remarks, it's pretty safe to say 
that our current governance and economic systems are outdated, right? At the least. Yeah. So one of the big questions is, and I want to ask you is, how do you feel we most effectively, efficiently and equitably distribute our abundant global resources so that everyone's needs are met without the consideration of financial or other means? Okay, now, I, I mean, biggest question in history, right? This kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to hear on Future Now Radio. We were going to, we want to be small and humble, and so we just ask very tiny questions. <laughs> I, I just think you have. We just have to dare to spearhead issues like that. It's not. It's not utopian anymore. It was utopian before when philosophers thought about. It. Today, it's becoming a necessity, and so we. So we have to apply spirituality, uh, you know, mor morality and internet engineering all at the same time. We have to we have to build networks across all levels of scale, from global to regional, to, and then to the local, and then to the intimately local, the family, all the way down. That, so that first quote you read about the connection from the whole to the local point is kind of the guiding matrix for how that's possible in a network space. You have the whole global planet held in wholeness, and then you stage down all these levels across, you know, levels of regionality like a fractal, so it comes down to an individual human being. And and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to get all these resources that are actually available out there all brought into balance in the single context of the whole. I think that's the ideal. So. You can use these, I, you know, people like uh, the phrase biomimicry a lot. And I think an example of how biomimicry can teach us something here is in the context of homeostasis, which is the balancing of all the forces inside the body. So all the organs in the body, all the different, um, different systems in the body, all are held together in, as a unit in the, in the biology of a human being, in the spiritual biology. All of those things are held as a unit and they all sort of come into balance. Well, we need to follow that same example in the, in the global economy, the global political economy. So the process of making decisions together and, and actually getting energy out to the people who need it in a correct proportion and in a balanced way so that a few people are not controlling all of it while a billion are suffering terribly that this has just got to go it's got to stop and so i am thinking that we are trying to organize kind of a cybernetic revolution where if we can get enough people to start coming into this oneness model and then it, with expertise in all these different sectors and we and we agree that we're going to work in balance with each other and in a resonant, harmonic way, I, you know, I respect you and I listen to you, you respect me and, I, and, oh, and you listen to me and we find the balance there. And then we do that, we get a billion people in a conversation that's doing that, co-creativity at scale. Then we can find a way to get all these energies balanced at the local, at every local point there is and at the global scale too. And that's, I think you can make cybernetic models of that. You know, cybernetics is feedback. It's like a, it's like a, um, a thermostat. That, I mean, the essential idea of, of, of homeostasis is, uh, or, and cybernetics is a, is a control mechanism that keeps values within boundary ranges. 
So if, if, if the thermostat is getting too hot, the thing shuts down and it starts cooling. And if it gets too cold, it starts up again, like a hot water heater, right? Yeah. So the, the body works like that. And we need the goal, whole global economy to work like that. And people like uh, um, Johan Rockstrom of the Stockholm Resist Resilience Center and his global boundaries idea, and then Kate Raworth and her donut economics, those are both about homeostatic balance within within a bound, boundary realm, within bounded values. So it's uh, that's I think that's what we're trying to do is, is get a homeostatic model that balances all the energy on the planet. And you can say, yeah, you're, that's crazy idealism. But I think I think you can actually do this with engineering. If, mm -hmm. if, you know, if, if demand gets high enough and enough people start pushing the right buttons, I think I think it's doable. Yeah. Even though it's a, it's, it's a stunning idea, but the internet is sitting there with the capability to do this. I was just looking at the weather networks. So yesterday and the day before, I'm just checking out how does the weather system, how is it monitored? So you have thousands of points around the world where, that are sending in information and it's compiled and then distributed back. And that's how we know what's going on with weather. We need a system kind of like that, that listens to thousands of points in the grid picks up the energy, compiles it, and then sends it back and say, well, you should make this small correction here. You should, yeah. you should, you should get a little stronger, you should get a little weaker, you should get a little hotter, you should get a little colder. Everything should be adjusted like that. And, and I, I think you can create a global movement of people, activists, who say, you know, when you're, you're looking at distortions in the, in the global economy and capitalism, you can say, okay, there's you know, we're going to identify 10,000 points in the global economy where they're, where they're pushing energy out of balance. And we are going to put homeostatic pressure on every single one of those points at the same time, not one at a time and not by, you're just going to say, hey, Mr. Corporate Guy, you need to cut back on this. There's too much smoke coming out of your smokestack. You're spilling too much junk into the river. All this kind of stuff can be can be incremented a little bit at a time by an engineering model, I think. Just, if you can get the whole balance correct, more or less, then you use an incremental approach with thousands of action points. You just push a little bit at every point and the whole thing can start settling down. Instead of instead of tirading at one particular sector, like a lot of people get, you know, furious with capitalism. Well, yeah, okay, right, but People do like to get out of bed and go to work in the morning. You know, it's part of the game. So you got to find how to balance that. So, um, I, and I think, I think, so this is the answer to your thing. And all of that is guided by the whole. You know, so there's this mystical thing hovering over it. So that's, a, that's the guiding principle. You can get all the nice religious people to sort of tune in on that too. So you can say, well, you know, if you want to say it's Jesus is telling me to do this, okay, that's all right. Or it can be Buddha or it can be... Allah, whoever whoever works for you, but it's all about balance and centeredness, and it's at scientific levels, at, at governance levels, and at the level of personal spirit. So all of that heals together in one unified force field if you can pull it off. Yeah, but that's that's the great vision I'm shooting at you here. Amazing, amazing. I think it's uh, wonderful to hear you visualize this this uh, dynamic model, right? We can probably say that the current models are pretty static and I love it how you sort of describe that we need these constant feedback loops to monitor 
much to tune in to much more finely than what we are doing now with all the the systems that we have and all don't get me wrong everything had its purpose and i think that's why i mentioned that the models are pretty much outdated it's not that they're bad or something but i think and i hope you agree with me that all the, the technology all the things we need are already here we have everything already yeah yeah, yeah, our problem is is fragmentation. Okay, in fact, you know, it's the Tower of Babel. It's like we're splintered. You know, every industry thinks it's got its own department. Every university is divided into all these departments. All these people don't talk to each other very well. They don't have common ground. They don't have common languages. All the religions are different. But this rising meme of oneness, this this new vision, says get over it, you know, <laughs> there is one, one <laughs> common ground here. So quit all that stuff and start getting in line with the new program. And the new program says you're going to be nice, you're going to walk straight, and you're going to be it's all going to fit together. And, and I think that's right. I think it's showable in a very substantial intellectual way. I think you can write, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here writing mathematical models that try to explain why that's true. And, and then I can turn I can turn around and say, okay, now I'm going to talk to some religious people and explain the same thing to them in slightly different language. But I, I think it's just getting to be very, very feasible that this same idea of convergence towards oneness is replicable across all these different aspects of human experience. It's the same idea containing all these different things. This is why it's so mind-blowing. People try to package this thing in little compartments and categories and it just blows your mind you just can't you can't get it like it, that's why i'm talking so fast you know i'm trying to get it but i can't do it i think that's why you just have to sit on the mountaintop and be a buddha and just radiate your glory right and, and just everybody come down and bow down at you you know yeah. I think we got a lot of work to do before the, the buddha is going to sit in meditation and take accolades and you can hang flowers around his neck and all that right <laughs> yeah, Bruce, your energy and passion, is, it's amazing. And we can always pitch your voice a bit down to speed if you think it's too fast. Yeah, it might, it might be aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard for me to control what I'm doing. It, it, it is, it's difficult for me to be a public speaker, actually. It, it, it's not, I can't, the idea is that the baud rate, the information channel capacity coming through my soul, it just exceeds what can be done in, in vocal communications. Like, so if, if I had a set of bullet points and I knew what I was going to talk about, I could modulate and, and say, okay, A, B, C, D, politely, does, does this person really know what I'm talking about? Don't blow their mind. Yeah. Okay, but I, it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's just hard to do. And um, so I'm just, I just have to go like mad. That's all, that's all I can do right now. Oh. So that's who you are, Bruce. So we're all energy and, and that's how you express yourself. And that's, that's great. You're being polite, but thank you. Uh, Bruce, uh, for the sake of the format, which yeah. we don't really have, but we just loved it to be a free flowing uh, discussion or talk. But before we get to the ending, um, is there anything that people or someone or we can do to support you in any way? Well, I, I would say that what's going to emerge is more partnerships, more stable partnerships where we are on board 
with with uh, with a common agenda and a common partnership and that and this becomes so credible that we can fund it in a, in a substantial way i think that has to happen mm. I, I don't think there's any any other choice and i think it's where i think it is doable and it's probably one of the reasons i'm pushing so hard because i need i'm knocking on a lot of doors at the same time i am building lots of things at the same time and I want to see them coalesce to the point where we can take this to major developers and supporters and say, look, this is the best thing going. This is what you need right here. We can fix this stuff. And of course, this underestimates the tremendous other projects that are out in the world today. There's tons of things going on. So you can say, what is this thing doing that's unique? Well, maybe some of the scientific modeling is, is unique in what I'm doing ways the categories are organized and synchronized and blur into each other through resonance. I'm pretty good at explaining how that could work. So, okay. so there's a tremendous integration out there that we are actually trying to, um, trying to, trying to get together. And we need, we do need to fund it and support it because it's a lot of work. We need a big, powerful agency to build these kinds of networking systems that, that are really needed. So, we have to get we have to get credible we have to be legitimate we have to be recognized we have to get through a lot of doors of people who challenge us and say well are you a bunch of nervous nobody flakes or are you actually delivering serious serious virtue to the world and i i would like to be able to say yes to that in a pretty solid bold way and we're just we're just working on getting there i would say okay thank you do you think this podcast station future now radio do you think it's important to talk about this stuff right now? Do I think it's important to talk about podcasts or? Well, what I'm... transformational ideas and concepts and projects in general, alternative models. Well, you're, yes, I think we, we need to reach a wide audience. We need to give, give people a sense of excitement and hope that there is something new on the horizon besides the smog of the craziness and the anger and the frustration and the breaking down of old systems. In that context, there's a strongly arising counterforce and we need to articulate that and encourage people and give them ways to participate in that and invite them into it. So all of that is good role for, for, for a podcast. You can, you, know, you can say, you know, we're here to help. We're here to fix things. We're here to excite the army. You know, my, my friend Bonnie Kelly, who was a, a partner here in, in Santa Barbara for Conscious Evolution, she was like Barbara Hubbard's right-hand lady and was described as the social hub of Santa Barbara, this dear lady, Bonnie Kelly. And she just said, she's here, she's here to, to create an army of lovers. That's what she told me a couple days ago on Facebook. She's going to do it, and that's it. And um, she's living up in Utah now, and th this is going to happen. She's she's too is a very deep mystic activist, and this this is what we're going to do. We're just going to find all the lovers, and we're going to get them in resonance. So check here, sign here, show up, come in the door, sit down, let's go. I think that's that's where we're trying to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Appreciate it. Totally agree. If anything, uh, if you would invite a next guest in this program, who would you ask? Who would I ask? Well, how about Terry Patton from New Republic of the Heart? He's a, he's a co-worker with 
with Ken Wilber um, for many years. Uh, he knows a lot of uh, New Age activists. Um, he's a very heart-centered guy. He's probably a much calmer speaker than me. And I'm studying what he's doing right now. So I think Terry Patton would be an ideal candidate for your radio interview. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bruce, I enjoyed the talk very much. Thank you so much. And we had a great conversation, I feel. So, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Schumann, writer, programmer, integrator, visionary, and mystic. It was a pleasure to have you on the show and hope to see you soon. You're very kind, Robert. It's a pleasure to be with you, truly.